0: It's time for us to uh, get started tonight, if we can, please. We are so thankful that you're here. It's chilly outside, but it's warm in here, isn't it? We're glad all of you are here. We especially are thankful to have some folks that are visiting with us. We're honored to have you tonight. we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity. We'll have our worship service together this Lord's Day at 930, and we'll have Bible classes for all ages at 5 o'clock. We hope that you'll come and be with us then. I hope you picked up a bulletin today as you came in. It's got an updated list of the sick. I have two additional uh, things to pass along to you. First of all, uh, Christy Nash, a friend of Billy Martin's, had good days and bad days, and they asked that we keep praying. Uh, They'll go back to the UAB hospital on December the 6th for MRI to uh, see how, CJD is progressing, so please remember her. Also, uh, Jackie Martin uh, had surgery in Jackson, Mississippi today on his throat. It was a 10-hour surgery and uh, he'll be in intensive care. they will be in intensive care for several days, so please remember that family in your prayers. There's others that we also uh, need to remember that are going through difficult times. We're thankful for the good results Uh, From Dale Kendrick's sister. Uh, She seems to be heading in the right direction. But let's do remember all those that need our prayers and encouragement and uh, do what we can to encourage them. Uh, You might look at the bulletin and you notice the cards, uh, card shower addresses and names. We ought to take advantage of that and You know, send cards at least to some of these folks that are in the bulletin and others as well to let them know that we love them and care about them. As far as other activities that are going on, uh, all third graders are invited to a tacky Christmas sweater party on Saturday morning, December the 9th from 1030 until noon at the Huddleston home. Bring one wrapped pair of Christmas socks. See Elizabeth for more information and what food to bring. Also a Christmas party for the K. We should announce this till December, should we? but we'll do it anyway. Uh, A Christmas party for the kindergarten through sixth graders will be Sunday, December the 10th uh, in the TAC, immediately following the morning worship until 1.30. Wendy Long has more information about that. Also, the youth progressive dinner will be on Sunday evening, December the 17th. More information about that uh, in the future. The annual fruit basket day will be on Wednesday, December the 20th. At 1 o'clock in the annex, it says bring a heat gun or blow dryer. Drivers will be needed, and if you can drive, uh, please see Jody Long or Michelle English, and they would appreciate that. There's going to be a gospel meeting. It's kind of an unusual time, I think, for a gospel meeting at Berea on December the 1st through the 3rd. That's this coming weekend. Uh, Speakers uh, on Friday include Lonnie McKee and our own Ken Forrest is going to be speaking on Saturday evening, and that service will begin at seven o'clock. Everyone's invited to the Holiday Open House at the Forest Home uh, located on 19 Kimberly Lane. Mark your calendars for December the 10th from two until four. Also, if you want to honor a loved one during the holiday season with a contribution to one of our ministries, uh, forms are available in the foyer and they really need to be returned by this sunday december the third golden circle is going to be making a trip tomorrow we're going to leave the annex at nine o'clock we're going to go to the outpost for lunch then we're going to visit the tennessee river museum and by the way it's free admission for church groups so that's good and uh, the bus will leave at nine as i said we still have room if some more want to go there's several that are going to drive uh, themselves and uh, we've had some cancellations, so if you would like to go, it's not too late. You can just let me know and uh, we'll take care of that. We'd love for as many who can to be a part of that. Also, the ladies ornament exchange is this coming Sunday, December the 3rd at the Elliott home following our evening classes. Uh, Please bring an ornament to exchange and your favorite holiday finger food. Also, uh, hot chocolate and cookies are gonna be served in the annex on Monday December the 4th beginning at 5 o'clock prior to the Christmas parade and uh, We really need you to bring your homemade cookies if possible. I do want to remind you that our monthly pantry item uh, This month is rice and we really need you to bring that if you can we've already helped 235 families this month which is uh, phenomenal and uh, it takes a lot of funds takes a lot of food And uh, please uh, remember to bring that pantry item, and if everybody does that, it will go a long way toward helping. For our devotional tonight, uh, Brother Ken Forrest is going to be leading our singing, and uh, Brother Jerry Barrett will lead our closing prayer.
1: Please mark in your psalm book number 508, 508.
0: After you mark that, turn to 528. 528.
1: I know that my Redeemer shall never pray.
0: way. Have y'all noticed anything different down front? I like those lights? Thank Tommy Barrett, thank, thank Tom, uh, Larry Morgan for that, and he made sure they got put in, and uh, I think you'll like them. Uh, we'll see how they work on Sunday, but uh, I'm excited about that myself. I'm not really a poetry person, but I read a poem not long ago that kind of caught my attention, and, and I wanted to share it with you. It's called Broken Toys, and listen to what the poet said. As children bring their broken toys with tears for me to mend, I brought my broken dreams to God because he was my friend. But then instead of leaving him in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. At last I snatched them back and cried, how do you be so slow? My child, God said, what could I do? You never let it go. You know, it's really interesting how often we find ourselves asking God for help, asking God for assistance. Who better to ask than, you know, the one that is in control of everything? And it's certainly not a bad thing at all to ask God for help. We need to ask God for help. But just as this poem suggests, the problem it's when we ask God for help without really letting go of our problems. You know, many times we worry about them. We, we want to try to fix everything ourselves instead of really, you know, trusting in God that he can help us and assist us in our most difficult and trying times. Now certainly the Lord doesn't want us to be lazy. He doesn't want us to not help ourselves at all. The Lord expects us to do what we can do. But he wants us to trust in him. The Bible says in Philippians 4 and verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then notice what's gonna happen. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The only way to have true peace of mind is when we put our faith and trust in God. First Peter five and verse six says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. But then there's that familiar verse later that says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And while this was a lesson that I'm sure we have heard many times, you've heard many lessons on this particular topic, it's always good, I think, to have somewhat of a reminder Are there some aspects to your life that you're really worrying about, that you're really anxious about, and you're really not trusting God to get you through those times? I just hope we'll always remember how wonderful God is, how much He loves us, and remember how much He can help us and how He wants to help us. And when we ask the Lord for His help, as we do from time to time, Let's make sure that we put our trust in him and let him work in our lives and in the situations that we pray for. Tonight, are you putting your faith and trust in God? Are you casting all your cares upon him knowing that he does care for you? knowing that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does much good. It may be tonight that your faith has been shaken because you haven't put your faith in God as you should. You may need to come tonight and ask for forgiveness. We'll pray for you and you can once again be restored to God to your first love or maybe tonight you've yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus in order to be saved. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God tonight, and if you believe that with all of your heart, why not come tonight in repentance, a resolve to change your life? Make that confession that Jesus is the Son of God, and tonight you can be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And so tonight, if you're subject to the invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. Oh, my God, my Savior, Jesus, my Lord. Heavenly Father, this evening, as always, it is so joyful to be able to come together. You give us these times, and we know these times are fleeting. These times are precious. These times give us opportunity. These times give us responsibilities. Father, we love each other. You first loved us. Father, we thank you for everything. And the time we all do have, may we take it and do with it wisely. For Father, you gave everything to us and may we always give back. And Father, we're so thankful for your son, your son Jesus, that you gave for all of us that we all may live in eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. And hey, we're gonna sing the first verse with this same opening of 507, 507. We'll sing this first verse. While we're singing it, if
1: you're one of our teachers, Go ahead and be dismissed out of the auditorium.
0: and making our lives more meaningful Uh, we're talking about you know our convictions and uh, our beliefs and so forth Uh, uh, this nine-year-old boy named Joey was asked by his mother what he had learned in Bible school well mom our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt when he got to the Red Sea, he had his army build a pontoon bridge, and and all the people walked across safely. Then he radioed headquarters for reinforcements. They sent bombers to blow up the bridge, and all the Israelites were saved. Now, Joey, is that really what your teacher taught you? The mother asked. Well, no, Mom, but if I told it the way the teacher told it, you wouldn't have believed it. So anyhow, we, we, we have a lot of stories like that in the Bible that are real. You know, sometimes when we use the word story, what do we imply? Maybe it's not quite true. We hear about the story of Noah and the flood. You're talking about deadly and ugly and destructive. You know, uh, you know we always you know, tell children stories about the flood and all the animals on the ark. Can you imagine all those people who died on that occasion and how horrible it must have felt knowing there was no hope? It's, it's a story, but it's factual, and uh, we need to remember that. And so tonight I want us to talk about uh, our convictions and expressing confidence in our convictions uh, and our standards that will make our lives more meaningful. You know, many people today will if they're... Ask about their convictions, their standards in life. They will indicate by their answers and by their attitude that they're really not all that sure about where they are in a spiritual sense. A lot of people out in the world today just don't have any idea where they would line up spiritually. And they don't know why they are what they are, if they're anything. I want to share this recent information with you. A recent poll was taken, and it's kind of surprising. It's shocking, and yet there's wonderful opportunities, I believe, for us to take advantage of in the church. One-fifth of Americans and one-third of adults under the age of 20 have no religious affiliation. That's according to a new report from Pew Research Group. Uh, They are dubbed what we call the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. They have no religious affiliation at all, so that's why they're referred to as nuns. Uh, The number of Americans who did identify with any religion continues to grow, this report says. Uh, In the last five years alone, The unaffiliated have increased from just over 15% to almost 20% of U.S. adults. Now, that's astounding to move five percentage points in five years of people that have no religious affiliation at all. Their ranks now include more than 13 million self-described atheists and agnostics, which is nearly 6% of the U.S. public, as well as nearly 30 million people who say they have no particular religious affiliation. That's 14%. Now this large and growing group of Americans is less religious than the public at large on many conventional measures, like you know the frequency of attending church services or the degree to which they place religion as being a part of their lives. There's some more statistics, I, probably could share with you tonight, but the point I'm trying to make to begin with is that a lot of people have no real religious convictions and even moral bearings. Uh, I think we could probably use common sense and say that's probably why we're in the mess we're in today, right? You know, people don't really see certain things as being right or wrong and that kind of thing. Uh, Taking lives, for example, today. It's amazing to, to read the accounts of those that have committed murder. And there's no appreciation or respect for life itself, even more it seems. They, they don't think anything about taking an innocent human life. You think about abortion. And uh, certainly I'm pleased with where our country is on that, considering where we've been with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I'm very, I did cartwheels when that came down. I hope they'll do the same thing regarding same-sex marriage. But who would have ever thought, you know, a few years ago when uh, the White House was lit up in the pride colors, right, to celebrate the legalization of same-sex marriage. So what I'm trying to say here is, is that people have little convictions today. And if I want to truly be happy, if I want to live a meaningful life, I need to be a person of strong conviction. You think about Moses. How come Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season? How could he make that decision? It was because of the convictions he had. How could Joseph, a young man in prison, sold as a slave in Egyptian bondage, his family probably didn't even know he was alive. They didn't, he didn't think they knew he was alive. You know, he may have said, you know, why does my father come and get me? And you think about all Joseph went through and all the trials he experienced, and yet in spite of that, he was always faithful to God. How could Joseph do that? It's because he was a person of conviction. So we've got to have strong convictions to be happy. How was it that Daniel could purpose in his heart that he would not defy himself with the king's meat or the king's wine. How could he make that decision even in facing difficult persecution? It was because of the convictions that he possessed. And so it's important that we have the right kind of convictions today. Now, it's apparent, I think, in our modern world today... That there are many factors which are influencing uh, people regarding their associations with any particular religious group to get back to what we were talking about. Uh, It's hard to put a finger on exactly what the problem is but the religious background I think of their families has a strong influence and a very strong factor in the decisions that's made by many in this particular area. Some have the idea uh, about the foundation upon which their beliefs are found. It's what their group believes that they're affiliated with. And so a lot of people today, and I would say a majority of people today, uh, have inherited their religion. It was passed down from family to family to family. Uh, If it's good enough for Ma and Paul, it's good enough for me, right? And a lot of people never get to the point where they question why they believe what they believe. And uh, this does not represent the attitude that needs to be demonstrated in the building of our personal faith and in the establishment of our own convictions and standards. Do I know what I believe and why I believe it? You know, people in the church can make the same mistake. Uh, You're just as guilty Uh, if you are what you are religiously and you just happen to be a member of the church, if you don't understand why you are what you are, if you're just that way because that's just how you were brought up and you never take the time to make those convictions yours, it's going to be very difficult for you as you get older and the persecution's going to come. It's going to be easy to stray away. That's one reason why some people are what they are religiously. Some people are looking for a religion based upon ritualism, or pageantry, or the mysterious rites that they find exciting. They, they base their religion on you know, just being entertained. They equate entertainment and emotion to being right with God. And the desire for sensationalism, I think, has always represented a very serious problem in the religious thinking of people. Y'all remember the story of Naaman over in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5? You know, there was a little girl there, a servant of Naaman, and Naaman had leprosy. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but this girl talked about the prophet that could heal her of this, could heal him of that disease. And so what did Naaman do? Man, he packed his entourage. You know, Naaman, he was well thought of. You know, he was the captain there of the Syrian army. And so, you know, the king told him, go and you do what you need to do in order to be healed. He had his animals full of all kinds of gold and silver and presents and all of his servants. And it it would have just been an amazing sight to see. Naaman headed to Elisha's house. And you know what? Elisha didn't even do the courtesy. Of going out and seeing that man. Now if it were me, I'd have gone out and made a selfie with him. You know what I mean? This is Nailman right here. I mean, I'll, I'm going to hang this on my wall. At least I'm going to say hello to him. Elisha instead sent his servant out to him. And the servant said, if you want to be healed, go wash, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. And it made Nelman mad. The Bible says he went away in a rage. He said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hands over the place and recover the leper. You know, he thought Elisha was going to come out there and just do something real fancy and real spectacular. He said, I won't do it. He said, are not the rivers of Abana and Farpar, far greater than that old stinky sorry Jordan River, he wouldn't do it. He went away in a rage. And so finally, the young prophet uh, who had told him to go and wash after Naaman went away, one of his servants came to Naaman and tried to get his thinking straight. He said, my servant, if if if, if he had told you to go do some great thing you would have done it wouldn't you? How much more then shouldn't you do this small thing that he's told you to do? And so that reasoning with Naaman got to him and he went and he did what the prophet had told him to do through the servant. He dipped once, twice, three times still leprous. Finally dipped seven times and He came forth from that water, his skin was like the skin of a precious baby. It was completely gone. But you see, Neumann expected something sensational religiously. And there are other people, though, looking for whatever is most convenient. A lot of people, when it comes to religion, uh, want that which requires the least possible commitment, the least possible dedication, the least possible involvement. In fact, there's a church out in Texas that has a drive through for the Lord's Supper. You know, we wanna make things as convenient as possible, don't we? We don't wanna make it difficult on brethren. We don't want anybody to be inconvenienced in their service to God. And you know, we see that all around us today in our everyday lives and it it gets into the church. We just don't wanna be inconvenienced. If If it's gonna cost me something, If I'm going to have to do something, I really would just as soon not do it. I think about David and his attitude toward this idea. Uh, David learned from experience that a religion which doesn't cost is a religion that doesn't pay. Over in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 24, he said to Aruna. He said, neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God, which costs me nothing. You know, they they were going to provide that sacrifice to David for free. But he said, I will not offer God anything that does not cost me. What does your religion cost? Do we try to be as easy as possible? You know, do we come and warm the pews two or three times a week and that's just about it? And you know, if it comes down to maybe sending a card out to somebody or maybe going to make a visit to somebody we know that is discouraged, we just don't want to be inconvenienced in any way whatsoever. And so a lot of people will choose a religion in which they can just compartmentalize their religion, right? Their religion's just a little part of their lives over here, and then there's the rest of the lives they live the rest of the week and so we we need to be aware of that you know paul wrote of the kind of dedication that god requires the kind of commitment we need to make in romans 12 and verse 1. he said i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto god which is your reasonable service now think about that concept of a sacrifice. We are to be a living sacrifice. Picture, if you will, what happened in the Old Testament where they took that lamb and they slit his throat, right? Uh, Even the children were there to witness this. They cut the lamb, they prepared it, and the lamb was put on the altar. And what happened to it? It was consumed. Paul said, I want you, God wants you to be a living sacrifice. You put yourself totally on the altar of God. Now, a lot of times, you know, we don't want to do that, do we? We don't mind putting a hand up there sometimes or maybe a foot and keeping one foot down. But we don't want to put our entire self on the altar of God's service. You know, the Bible mentions specifically uh, what it costs to be a Christian. You know, Jesus said, whosoever forsakes not all that he has cannot be my disciple. If any man will come after me, what does he do? Let him deny himself. We misunderstood that verse, I think. That word deny himself doesn't mean that we deny ourselves a mill or two and give that money to the poor. Uh, What he means when he says deny yourself, you look in the mirror. When you see yourself in the mirror, that's what you deny. You deny yourself of what you want and what you desire and what you like and what's convenient for you. You know, and uh, you know, Paul was very strong in that particular teaching. We can no longer uh, see ourselves and put precedence uh, and what we want over what God wants. And so we are to be a living sacrifice. Uh, Others make merchandise out of their religious convictions and uh, they seek the association just of people in general. Maybe here's somebody that has a certain kind of job and uh, he's going to choose where he's going to be in church religiously by the clientele that might be there, right? He's totally in, you know, with going to church and being there and even participating, but he's there strictly for what it might do for him monetarily. And, uh, you know, if the right people aren't there, well, he may decide and choose to go somewhere else, and so it's the social standing uh, that takes precedence over any kind of convictions. And uh, when such decisions are made, it's apparent that business and social ties are more important than being pleasing to God. And still, there are others who seek out uh, that religious connection that will place them with the majority. Some people just want to be with the majority of people the greatest number of people you know they shy away of being a part of the few or a part of uh, those that are different Uh, their idea of being acceptable to god is found you know in the number of people who are assembled rather than the purpose for which they are assembled and yet the bible warns us in exodus 23 and verse 2 you shall not follow a multitude to do evil, right? If you look throughout the Bible, have you ever noticed God's people are never in the majority? God's people are never in the majority. Never has been, never will be. So if you want to go along to get along and be a part of the largest group and do what everybody else is doing, you know, that's not a way in which you need to settle your convictions and your beliefs. Any comments on those? I just wanted to throw those out for you. Any additions or any thoughts y'all have on this? Please feel free to speak up. Anything y'all want to add to it?
1: What are some other, anybody got any other
0: reasons why some choose to be what they are religiously or believe what they believe? Anybody got any other thoughts on that? Don't speak. Huh? Yeah, we, we talk, yeah, because their mother and daddy, that's what they were. You know, it's an inherited religion. I need to study. I need to give diligence to show myself approved unto God. I need to know why I believe what I believe. The Bible says sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That's your mind. That's your soul. That's who you are. You set God apart. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man who asks a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now we're not just trying to win an argument, right? But we need to know why we believe what we believe. If somebody asks us about the hope that we have and why we are what we are, we need to in a spirit of kindness and love, and yet with conviction, tell people what the Bible says, and uh, we need to endeavor to do that. Let's move on, if we can. Uh, in all these considerations that seem so important to men, there's one thing that's left out in it, and what's that? What pleases God? What pleases God? That question's never asked. You know, even in the church today, in many areas, when a like, let's say, a young family. Young families looking for a place to go to church, what's the first thing they do? They ask, you know, do they have a good youth group for my kids? Do they have a good teaching program for me? You know, am I gonna be able to to have some good friends at this place? And, you know, uh, what kind of building do they have? What kind of programs do they have? You know, what's the basis of those kinds of questions? What's in it for me? What's in it? For me. What did John F. Kennedy say one time? That's not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. We've gotten away from that, right? We have a generation of people now who feel entitled, right? They don't want to do for their country, they want their country to do for them. There's a sense of entitlement there. We cannot allow that to get in the Lord's church. Instead, we ask, What pleases God? As Jesus said one time about his Father, I do always those things. That please him. In John 4 and verse 24, Jesus said, God is the Spirit. They that worship him must worship him how? In spirit and in truth. Now that involves doing the right thing at the right time, uh in the right way, for the right purpose, with the right attitude, and doing it in our hearts and in our minds. Jesus warned that it's possible for the things that we do to be vain. Vain means useless, doesn't it, and worthless. He said, for example, in Matthew 15, verse 9, in vain do they worship me. There's such a such thing as vain worship. How do we participate in vain worship? text says here, we do that by teaching as commandments the doctrines and commandments of men, the ideas of men, not having our heart into it. And, you know, doing the will of the Father has to take top priority in our lives. We can all quote the verses, for example, Matthew 7:21: not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But what? He that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Matthew 6:33: you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you." We know those verses, we know, we know how to quote those verses, but do they really mean something to us? So, let's ask the question now in the time we have left. How can we formulate those convictions that will help us to have the assurance and the confidence that we need to have in our lives to live happy and meaningful lives? How can we develop these convictions that we need to develop? Let's think about this for just a moment. You know, the Bible gives us the answer and expects us to have the intelligence to understand the need for appropriating these truths in our lives. Let's look first of all at John chapter 6 and verse 44. We talked about how a lot of people's religions are just handed down. Listen to this. John six forty-four. Jesus gives the answer and the secret for the drawing power of the Father. He said here, No man comes to me except the Father which sent me draw him. No man can come to the Father except he draw him. Notice what he says here, And I will raise him up the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they shall be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father comes to me. Christianity is a taught religion. It's not something we get by osmosis. It's not something we develop on our own. We are taught of God through His Word. Christianity is a taught religion. And if we're not willing to be taught uh, God's Word and listen to God's Word, then we will not be drawn to God. We won't have the convictions that we need to have. Over in Romans chapter 10, Uh, Beginning in verse 13, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That sounds good, doesn't it? But most religious people have no idea what it means to call on the name of the Lord, do they? If you go to Acts 22 and verse 16, the Bible defines itself. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. That's how you call on the name of the Lord. All right. Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher or a teacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things And here's the connecting verse here. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He's not talking to preachers here. He's talking to Christians. We all are proclaimers of God's word. And the only way that Christianity is going to make progress and be passed on is if it is taught and then believed and obeyed. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God into salvation. It's God's dynamite, the preaching of the gospel. You see, the revealing of these precious truths to us places a great responsibility upon us in regard to the use that we make of them. We've got personal responsibility here. We've got a responsibility to uh, not only hear the word and understand it properly ourselves, but it must be properly taught uh, to other people. For example, in Matthew 7, Jesus said, whosoever hears these sayings of mine, where do we find his sayings? In his word. "Whoever hears these sayings of mine, and what? Can't do what you don't know, right? So you hear his sayings and do them, he's likened into a what, a wise man? If you want to break out in song, I guess that's all right with me. Okay, wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains descended, and the floods came and beat upon that house. And why did it not fall? It had a solid foundation. It was a foundation of conviction, right? Based upon what the Word of God says. Whosoever hears these sayings of mine, and sadly a lot of people don't even hear the sayings, right? They're lost to begin with. But whosoever hears these sayings, And does not do them shall be like unto a foolish man. Built his house upon the sand. Rains descended, floods came, winds blew, beat upon the house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Over in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 and verse 1. We then as workers together with him beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. I can receive God's grace. I can receive the word of his grace in vain if I don't do something about it. The Bible says over in Matthew chapter 13, 1 through 23, we read about the parable of the sowers, right? Talking about the hearts of men. Uh, Some seed, the seed of the kingdom is the word of God, Luke 8 verse 11. Some seed fell among thorns, right? Some fell on the wayside. Some fell on rocky ground. Some fell on good soil. You know, this ought to be the parable of the soils, maybe, instead of the sower, because these soils represent the hearts of men. Sometimes, you know, when the soil is like rock, you know, our hearts are like rock, and we may hear the word, be excited about it, but it doesn't take any time at all till we have a lot of things going on that interfere with our Christianity and we quit. Some people, you know, are like thorns. You know, they hear the word of God and obey it, but then they're choked together by the cares of the world, the anxieties of the world. They don't trust in God and they fall away. And so I want to be like the good ground uh, that brings forth good fruit. And so it's our hearts that make all the difference. Let me quickly mention, though, that wonderful blessings are promised when we receive the word, obey it, and abide or continue faithfully in it. For example, in John 15, verse 7, If you abide in me and my words in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Isn't that a wonderful promise? But what's it contingent on? Well, it says here, If you abide in me and my words in you, then I will hear your prayer. You think about uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable. You know, that word steadfast there means you're well-grounded. You have strong convictions. You're unmovable. uh, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. You realize and you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's going to pay off. You think about uh, Revelation 2 and verse 10 that we've all heard. Be faithful unto death. I'll give you a crown of life. That doesn't mean that you be faithful till you die. That verse means you be faithful even if the result of that faithfulness cost you your life. That's what that verse is teaching. You be faithful even to the point of death itself. And I will give you a crown of life. Uh, how could Paul come to the end of his life in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7 and say, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me in that day, but not to me only, but to all those that love his appearing. How could a man make that statement knowing he's about to die? It's because of the convictions he had. He had strong convictions. He knew who he was and who he belonged to. Then you think about 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. There is no temptation taking you. But such is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. How do we have the assurance that we can endure anything that we have to deal with on this earth and come through it on the other side? Because of those three words, God is faithful. God is faithful. We have his promise that he will not allow us to have to endure more than we're able to take. You know, what did Papa always say? I've had alls I can stands and I can't stands no more, right? Sometimes in life it seems to get that way, right? I've had all I can deal with, I just can't deal with anymore. When you get down like that, it's hard to to look out and see a, a brighter future. But we have to keep on keeping on. Trusting that God is faithful, trusting that he's not going to put more on us than we can bear, but he will make a way of escape. And we need to be thankful for that. And so as we kind of draw this lesson to a close tonight, and I hope you'll make some comments in a minute. When a person really knows who he is in a spiritual sense, when a person has strong conviction, a conviction that drives him in his everyday life, a conviction that causes him to make the kind of decisions that he needs to make realizing his obligations and responsibilities to God and when he knows why he is what he is, that individual is going to be able to put more enthusiasm and confidence and meaning into his everyday life. His life's going to take on a whole new meaning completely if he has strong convictions. And so we will rejoice in our relationship with the Father. We need to do that. Uh, being a child of God, today we have every reason to rejoice. For example, Romans 8, verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. Isn't it a privilege to be a child of God? You are a son of the Almighty God if you've been baptized into Christ for the remission of Of your sins you have the privilege of calling on the name of God the one who created the universe anytime that you need to you know if you were to go home and had a problem and you wanted to talk to the president good luck with that right you're never gonna do it right I can't even call coach Nick Saban you know and give him some advice I might he's not gonna take my call he don't care what I think but you know what I can do I can communicate with the creator of the universe anytime that I choose to, and I have the assurance that he's going to hear my prayer because I'm a child of God. And he will protect, we will protect that relationship with all the power of our being. If we have those convictions, we're going to protect that relationship that we have with God. It is a precious relationship And we will recognize the privilege that we have of being a child of God. And because it is a relationship that's available to everyone, he will want us to tell others about it so that others can know the joy in him as well. All right. I've got about four or five minutes left. I wanted to finish this lesson. I might have gone a little bit too quick through some of it, but I wanted to finish it. We did that. Is there any comments or observations you want to make? About our convictions that maybe we overlooked or some additional thoughts that you might want to make. Anything. Feel free to speak up. If not, I'm going to close out with a prayer, okay? Let's close out with a prayer tonight. Our Heavenly Father, we are indeed so thankful to you for all that you do for us. We realize that it's in you that we live and move and have our very being. And we realize, Father, that if it wasn't for you, we would have nothing and be nothing. May we continue each day to recognize our dependence upon you and recognize that you are God, and yet you love us and care for us. Father, we pray that we can continue to develop our convictions as we read and study your word, that we'll continue to grow and that we will bring glory and honor to you by how we live our lives each day. Father, there are many on our minds tonight that are sick, that we want to remember in prayer we pray father that you would be with the ones we've mentioned tonight we pray that you'll be with uh dale kendrick's sister as she continues to recover we mentioned tonight uh, christy nash and jackie martin we pray that you would be with these two individuals father especially and father there are others that we know that are are in the hospital right now that need our prayers we pray for those that are attending to their needs And, Father, we pray that you would be with each one. Father, continue to bless those and be with those who are grieving over the loss of loved ones, especially this time of the year. We pray that your care and comfort would be upon them. Father, most of all, we're thankful for your son, Jesus, who gave his life on the cross for our sins and gave us the hope that we need when this life is over. And it's in his son's name that we pray. Amen.